Thank you, Jamie. <laughs> so beautiful. I, I think that ties in well with the song, I am a child of God. <laughs> yes, I am. I, I'm just thinking, if, if you're first time here, just, just hear what unlocked Jamie's life. It's the love of God that he poured out on her in a very real way to make it something that wasn't just obscure to something that actually meant something to her. And I just, wanna, I just want you to know God wants to do the exact same thing in your life. He does. And just so you know, Christian crack is actually <laughs> coffee. Coffee, okay? Um, <clears throat> we've got some out there, by the way. <laughs> good, to, good to have you here tonight. My name is Derek Murphy, one of the guys here on the team. And we are heading into a new series called A Life Worth Dying For. A Life Worth Dying For. And we're going to be going through the book of Luke starting next week. This is kind of the preamble to the series getting started. Um, and there's a really important message that we have for you tonight. Uh, before we get to that, I just want to say a life worth dying for. Monday is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And I thought it'd be great to share a quote from him. One of the most famous quotes he's done is, uh, a life is not worth living until you've found something worth dying for. Uh, but he has this great sermon, and he, he says it even more, I think more soberly in the, this sermon, uh, but if not is what the name of it is. If you want to go look it up tomorrow or on, on Monday, that'd be great, uh, great listen. But he says, if you have not found something so dear and so precious to you that you will die for it, you aren't fit to live. Another way to say that. And, and so this is, this is really what we're, we're talking about. What's this life that Jesus came to give us? I, if, if you're new and you're just searching, I just want to say it's a beautiful life. It's so beautiful that it's something worth actually dying for. And I know that kind of sounds a little bit fanatical, right? Like <laughs> something worth dying for. But I, I think it's also something that's kind of beautiful. Uh, I don't know if you're with me or not, but it's a, a bit attractive because I, I want to ask you this question. What would you be willing to give up if you got full confidence and freedom from anxiety, depression, and fear? What would you be willing to give up if you actually knew what you were created for and you had the courage to live in your design? What would you be willing to give up? Would you be willing to give 20 years off of your life if you were actually able to live life to the full for the years that you have? Yeah, I, th I think actually in that But If Not series sermon from Martin Luther King, he said he was 38 years old when he gave it, and he said, <clears throat> you know, I could, I could live a life of fear, but it's like I died today. It doesn't matter if I live another 80 years. It's not life. It's not a life worth living if it's not a life that's worth dying for. That's what we're going to be getting into, because here's the thing is that Jesus actually gave it all. He gave everything for the life that he lived, but he gave it all for a life for us to live, the same sort of life that is abundant and free and full. That's the sort of thing that he has for us, but he actually asked something from us as well. He doesn't just say you can have this life and you don't have to do anything for it. He actually asks for us to do the same thing he did, which is to die for it, which is an interesting paradox, right? Like, well, how do I get life if it's something I have to die for? Well, 
Jesus says it this way in Matthew 10, 39. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Like if you try to actually search and find all the things that will make you happy, it's like it's just out of reach. It never quite gets there. I think we can all feel that. But once you actually know what you were created for, you'd give anything to actually live that life. Everything else is just superfluous, right? That's the sort of life that Jesus wants because he promised us freedom and fullness. And I actually want freedom and fullness for you. I know Jesus wants it for you. So that's what we're going to be speaking to tonight. Jesus calls us to live this sort of life. And just so you know, there is no life. What we believe is that there is actually no life outside of union with Jesus. And really, the life that he had called us to live is worth dying for. So here's what we're going to be looking at. Four things over the next several months. If you look deeply, you'll discover your life was worth dying for. This is the beauty of the gospel that Jamie just said. The deep love that she felt, she realized that Jesus actually saw that his life was worth giving up for hers. If you look deeply at Jesus, you'll discover his life is worth dying for. That it actually is worth giving something up, everything up, in fact, to live the sort of life that he called us to. Number three, if you look at Jesus deeply, you discover other people's lives are actually worth dying for as well. You may need more convincing on that one. I'm not sure. <laughs> Some of you have more trust issues than others. I know it uh, depends on who you, what your upbringing was. If you look at Jesus' life deeply, you'll discover that this is the life. That the, the only way to life, sorry, is by dying. These are what the things we're going to come through during this series. But there's a sermon we have to preach today. There's a sermon that's very important that we need to preach today because we can preach all these sermons through the life of Jesus, through the book of Luke, and it does us no good, absolutely no good if we're not actually willing to follow Jesus. And so there's this important first step. And I just want you to know, if, you, if you're coming here and you're just searching and you're looking to see who, who this God is, you, you will find that in this series that's coming. But tonight is really a sermon for those of you who call yourself a follower of Jesus. And I think it's important for everybody to overhear this, this message. It's a message about setting ourselves apart. It's, it's, it's a message about actually letting ourselves be used by God. This in the Bible is called consecration. It's a weird word. <laughs> consecration, actually letting God use us for his purposes. Now, I, have, uh, I like to do uh, just hobby woodworking. There's some of you that do it professionally out there. And I have a lot of tools in my shop, and I've got hand tools. Now, I've got these big bags. They're like canvas bags of tools. And it's kind of, it's frustrating sometimes, like digging through them, hoping I don't get cut by like some sort of blade that got left in there. And, and you know, it, they're, they're hard to find. Sometimes I don't even put them back. But there's a tool that I don't put in there. I've got chisels. I've got these chisels, and my chisels have a box. That box, every, there's like 10 chisels in this box, and they all have a spot in that box that fit them specifically. And I will never put a chisel in my hand tool bag because, you know, once you put it in there, it's just going to get ruined. <laughs> it's it's going to get destroyed in there. The, the chisel needs to be super sharp or it's not actually worth anything. 
Now, here, here's the thing, is that I'm talking about chisels because I, I believe that each one of us has a special design by God, like a tool in the master's hand, right? When, when it's actually being used for its purpose and for its design, I, it can do beautiful and wonderful woodwork. Now, you could use a chisel as a screwdriver, but I would never do that, right? You, you could throw the chisel just into the, into the bag with all the other tools, but I would never do that because those chisels are too valuable to me to do that. And I, I think what I hope you get out of this message is that you were made for a purpose. Like these chisels, each one of you has a special job. Yeah, and, and God wants to put you off to the side and, and set you apart in such a way that he can use you in a very special way to make something beautiful with your life. That's what I hope you get from the message tonight. Now, here's something to look forward to if we actually do set ourselves apart. He will make something beautiful. That's a promise that we see over and over in Scripture that I'm going to get to at the end of the message. He will do something special. He may even do a miracle. And here's the thing, is the miracle that he does, when we're willing to set ourselves apart for him to use us, there's going to be fruit in your own life. Now, we're, we're told about the fruit of the Spirit, right, in the Scriptures. There's love and joy and peace. All these things fill us up when we actually let God work in our lives, right? There's fruit in our church. It's a, this thing that happens here is love, right? Just love overflows because then we're actually used to bless people. Love comes, and then what happens is John 17 says, when we love each other well, it, it, it actually brings people in. They're like, what is this thing that, that Jamie was talking about? Are you guys all crazy and like happy all the time? I don't know. It, it, it draws people in because this is unnatural, the sort of thing that God has called us to. And, and it multiplies the goodness. And in our community, the, the beauty is if we're actually letting God use us in this way, justice and peace and mercy flow down the streets of our communities. It's a beautiful thing. So <clears throat> we're going to preach on this series about a life worth dying for. But today, we're going to jump into two specific types of parts of scripture, Romans chapter six. And then after that, I've got a story for you out of the Old Testament, which we'll get into. Now, Romans six, I'm going to read out of starting in verse 10. The death he died, talking about Jesus, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, here, here this, this says, count yourselves. This is an accounting term. We are supposed to count ourselves dead to sin and count ourselves alive to God. Now, just a sec. I, I know it's hard for us to believe that we're actually dead to sin. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you're like, no, I, I, I still struggle with that, right? Well, here's, here's the thing. Let me, how many of you have worked at more than one job? Hopefully, yeah, if you've, if you've lived any amount of time, it's probably. Now imagine your old boss shows up at your new job. <laughs> okay, that sounds like a, it could be a fun story. So they, the, your old boss starts giving you a list of to-dos and saying, okay, I need you to do this, this, and this, and this. Here you go. 
Go for it. What, what are you going to say to that person? Uh, I, don't work, I don't Some of you might just do it. I don't know. But I don't, I don't work for you anymore. <laughs> I don't work for you anymore. I, I appreciate you thinking so much of me. Even if you worked for her for, for a lot of years, you're not just going to be like, yeah, I, I'm on it, right? It's, it's the same way. We're dead to sin. We're dead to sin. We, we count ourselves. We account ourselves as dead to sin. It doesn't get to ask us to do things anymore. It doesn't, it doesn't get to do that. God's the one who gets to set our, our agenda day by day. It isn't sin that sets the agenda anymore. This is the, the sort of idea that we need to take deep into our hearts. And it's dead to sin, right? We no longer have to communicate with it. Now, when I was in Bible college, um, one of my mentors was taking me to a house of a, a family in our church who had, uh, the, the grandfather had just passed away. And they were telling us a story that just a couple days before, they were all gathered around. This guy was just an awesome guy. He lived a great life. All the kids and grandkids were sitting around the bed, and they were listening to him, and he didn't seem like he was doing well, and, and it looked like he made his, took his last breath. And they all just kind of sat there somber, and a couple tears started coming. And before they could really do much, they, 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 they started to, Put, put a hand on him to pray, and then he jumps up, and he's like, ah, I fooled you. you know? <laughs> the guy just had like a, a great sense of humor, right? And they were all laughing, and even after he died, you know, they, were, they had a good smile on their face, and I sometimes think about that. I'm like, that's definitely what I'm going to do to my kids some, someday. Um, but this, th- th- this day that I was seeing them, he was, he was passed. He was gone, right? And so no matter how many good memories these kids and grandkids had with their father and grandfather, they were just memories now. There was not going to be anything new created, right? And he, he was gone. He was past. He's dead. And so there's no more communication with their beloved father. It's, it's gone. And the same thing with sin. It's like we don't, we don't actually have to or even get to communicate with sin anymore. It's, it's gone. It's past. It's it's, there's something else that we're alive to now. It says we're alive to God through Christ Jesus. And this is per, perhaps even easier to understand being Christians, right? It's, it's easier to think about being alive to God, but sometimes hard to think about being dead to sin. Now, how many of you actually served uh, U.S. Armed Forces? How many, any, thank you for your service, all of you. Um, now, let me ask you, that you guys that raised your hands, if your commanding officer asked you to do something, how responsive were you? <laughs> yeah, you were on it, right? Well, they, they, they would, there, were, there were steep consequences, I'm sure, if you, if you weren't. But the reason they do that, I've heard, at least as I've read in books, is because if you're in the battlefield and you aren't responsive immediately when they ask you to do something, life and death is on the line. You put your life or somebody else's life in danger if you don't just respond like that. And, and this is the thing, like we're alive to Christ. Like he's actually trying to give us instructions and he wants us just to move when he says move and to stop and to wait when he says stop and wait, right? These are the sort of things that Christ actually wants. He wants to be the one in charge of our lives. So how do we move forward? What do we do? Well, there's, there's two things I think in the, in the next verses that are following. First, in verse 12, it says, therefore, do not let sin 
reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself as instruments of wickedness. Now, this is a little bit shocking if you actually look at this. If you are struggling with sin, Paul is saying, when you struggle with sin, you are offering a part of your body as an instrument of wickedness. I don't know about you, but I don't think of it that way. Like, ah, it's, it's harmless. It's, it doesn't really hurt anybody. It's not a big deal, right? I, I don't know if your mind goes there. It's easy to justify, but Paul's making it steep. Like, this is actually not okay. This isn't okay for us. We, we've actually partnered with the enemy in some meaningful way. And remember, you're dead to sin. You don't have to obey it anymore. Don't do it. And if you're sitting here and you're like 100% of us, you're probably struggling. And I just want to give you one practical tool that's helped me. And that's actually fasting. It's fasting. So if you, if you want to take ground in, in actually seeing sin obliterated from your life and cast out, if you don't want to offer your parts of the body as members and instruments of wickedness, uh, fasting is great because what you do when you fast from food is you tell your body, you tell, it says your desires, these evil desires, but even just regular desires of food, it's a good, it's not a bad desire, right? You're telling it it's not in charge, right? It's not in charge of you when you, when you actually don't eat a meal or two. And, and, and you actually gain mastery. It's a practice of actually owning the mastery that, that God has given you over your body and that he wants to actually give to you. And so I'm, I'm going to fast on Monday. And if any of you want to join me, I just want to say, shoot me an email. I would love to do that with you. Two meals. So stop eating right after you eat dinner on Sunday night. And don't eat till dinner on Monday night. And so if you're with me, email me, dmurphy at k2thechurch.com. I would love to have a bunch of you just say, hey, we're in. Martin Luther King Jay, Jr. Day, we can pray for justice and mercy to flow like riving water. I don't know what I was trying to say. Whatever. Anyway, good stuff. We want good stuff. So join me in that. Um, second is this. Um, continuing on in verse 13, it says, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourselves to him as an instrument of righteousness. Now, through the fall, we did this series in Romans chapter 12, and it says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's holy and pleasing to the Lord. This is your, remember, your reasonable, your logical act of worship. This is what we're being, this is what we're, we're being called to in this verse, to offer our bodies to God, to be set apart like those chisels so that we can actually be used for his service. This is what consecration is. And so I've got a little illustration. I want to show this. Uh, Jeff, where, I don't know where Jeff's at, but if you would just come on up here, Jeff Soper. Jeff is part of our worship band. And so him and Candice, uh, we, I don't know about what's happened out here with today, but COVID has struck our, our state, right? And so our, it definitely struck our band and some of our staff and all that today. So Jeff uh, is helping us out um, and he's going to play a little song for me. Uh, I don't know what song it is yet, but Jeff, when you're ready, go for it. Will you just give Jeff and Candice a little round of applause for what they did today?
Oh, that was really pleasant, right? All right, all right. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and put this on. Um, so, and what song was? Do you know what that was called? Blackbird. Okay, Blackbird. I'm gonna try to play back Blackbird. That, that's about close, right? Uh, <laughs> so this, this passage is saying, yeah, you're, you're actually dead? Oh, I got my mic. Right. We're going to have it come all the way off. We're actually dead to sin. Here, just, just a sec. We're dead to sin, so we, we take it off, right? But we are the instrument. This, this is death. <laughs> I just want you to know, uh, instruments of wickedness. So the word wickedness is really chaos, uh, just noise, uh, bad. This, you, you heard how I played, right? That was bad, right? That was bad. Now, this is the same instrument, right? We're instruments of either righteousness or wickedness. He gives us one way or another. And so in the hands of the right person, Jeff here, um, it actually sounds really beautiful, right? That instrument. And just, just, just think of yourself. You're, you're like that guitar. Hopefully I didn't get it out of tune or something because that was really bad. Um, I don't know how to play. I don't know how to play. <clears throat> now, the enemy in our life doesn't, doesn't know how to play the song, but, but God does. Like he, he actually wants to create a beautiful melody with your life. He wants to do something wonderful in your life. And that's what happens when we actually make ourselves alive to God. We're dead to sin, alive to God. We do not offer ourselves to sin. We do offer ourselves to God. This is exactly how we consecrate ourselves. That's a I know, a, a, a religious, churchy word, but this is what we do. We're, we are setting ourselves apart from sin for God so that he can have this resounding beauty come out of our lives the way it was intended. Like, this instrument was intended to be used the way that Jeff used it. It was not intended to be used the way that I used it. <clears throat> now, there's a, the Old Testament story that I think will illustrate this well. And this is a story that Dave has been talking to our staff about quite a bit. It's a story of Jehoiada and Joash. So this is taking place in Second Chronicles. And um, Joash uh, was the son of a king that got m- murdered. And now his, um, the, his grandmother was taken over the throne and killed all of the grandchildren except for him. Because she wanted to rule. And so he got taken away by the priest Jehoiada, and he, got, he was raised under this high priest. And when he was seven years old, Jehoiada decided the wickedness of his grandmother was too much. And he decided it's time to anoint this guy as king, right? And, and so he does, and it's, it's just beautiful. What, what he, I'm actually going to read a, a bit of this story here. Second Chronicles 23, 16, and 17 Then Jehoiada made a covenant between himself and the king and the people that would be of the Lord's people. And all the people went over to the temple of Baal, and they tore it down. 
They demolished the altars, and they, sp- they smashed the idols, and they killed Matan, the priest of Baal, in front of the altar. So this happens when Jehoiada is uh, announced to be the king. <laughs> At seven years old, they decide, hey, what we're going to do is we're actually going to tear down all the wickedness injustice and terror and all these things have been reigning because of his grandmother. And they're like, let's bring life and righteousness and peace. And so what they do is they actually go tear down, obliterate, smash, and put to death. It seems a little bit fanatical, right? But this is the sort of thing that I think when we're talking about our sin life, we got to start thinking in this way. Because when I talk about sin, I don't know about you, but I talk about like, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm struggling here. I've got something that I'm trying to work through. That's, that's a little bit different vocabulary than I'm, I'm tearing down stuff and I'm smashing it and I'm killing it, right? It's like, it's, it's <laughs> uh, struggle sounds a little apathetic, I think, in comparison, doesn't it? Like, this is the sort of attitude that we're being called to. If we really are serious about experiencing the life that Jesus has for us. There's freedom to be had and fullness to be had. And if we're not willing to tear some things down, we won't ever experience it. Now, I know my flesh recoils against this. Even of late, trying, my, my flesh, uh, you know, trying to like, put limits on screen time and social media and stuff, it like recoils against those restrictions just on simple apps. But you know, Jesus says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to lust, gouge it out. That's crazy. <laughs> and, and just so you know, I'm from Idaho, and somebody I, I remember like 10 years ago actually did this, so don't do that. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's a means of saying, take the extreme route. Like, are you willing to actually throw away your phone? if it's causing you to sin, and get a flip phone. That's actually not that big of a deal, to be honest. Like, you didn't have one 10 years ago, okay? Most of us aren't, though, right? We're not thinking about how to smash and put to death the things of sin. But if we're not willing to do that, we're never going to experience the life that Jesus has for us. Now, Tim Keller says this about Idols, because this is what, what we're doing when we're doing that. that this idolatry, when we're putting other things before God. It says, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you what only God can give you, that's an idol. That's an idol. Where do you go for? Go, go for it for your comfort. Where do you put your, the best way to really assess where you're at with this, where do you put your time, talents, and treasure? You'll be able to see, is it sports center, uh, your career, your comfort, TikTok? I don't know. What is it that really takes your attention and your time? So what we live for is actually usually what we're willing to die for. How many of you are willing to die for your fantasy football team? Oh, that's silly. Like, we, we actually want to live a life it is a little bit crazy, but it's worth dying for, and it's, it's actually got some purpose to it. It has meaning and substance to it, not just something that you would give away, right? This is what God is calling us to, and Colossians 3 says this, for you died, 
and your life is now hidden with Christ. Verse five says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Put it to death. Tear it down, smash it. That's what God is calling us to. Now, a couple of my idols. I love the feeling of being known. I think we all do, but it can become an idol for me, right? Because I'm known by God. Isn't, shouldn't that be enough? But, you know, I was the youngest of four kids, and I was the favorite. I know none of my siblings are in here, but I was the favorite from all of them. Maybe, probably even my parents, I think. Shh, don't, 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 don't tell them. And I love that. I think I found a lot of my identity in being the favorite, being really likable, right? And, and I'm, I'm realizing in ministry, it's really easy to find my identity in being liked and being a favorite, right? That's, that's not okay. Uh, last year, like, God's been working through me, but last, last February, God was just like, hey, if you never worked at a big church ever again and you never pastored more than 50 people and then nobody else ever knew you, would be okay? Would you do that and be faithful to that for me? There's a reason he had to ask. <laughs> There's a reason he had to ask. Uh, like I said, social media, I, I, I got to keep moving, but man, it's, it was toxic for me. I had, to, I had to start putting restrictions and cutting it off, getting rid of accounts. It's not good. But that's only the half of it. You know, uh, Joash, 16 years later, he actually, when he's 23 years old, doesn't just smash the, the, the old gods. He actually rebuilds the temple. And so this is, this is what God is calling us to do. Actually worship him, set ourselves apart for him, be that living sacrifice to him. God wants us to be an instrument creating beauty in his hands. He wants us to actually build things up for him. That's what he's trying to do. It's what Joash does in uh, 2 Chronicles 24, 13. It says, the men in charge of the work were diligent and the repairs progressed under them. They restored the temple of God according to its original design and reinforced it. They, they put tons of money into this thing. When you're talking time, talent, treasure, there was a bunch of energy hit here. How much of our energy is actually being put towards what God created us for? That's what we have to ask ourselves because he actually wants us to live life to the full. And this is how we live life to the full when we put his stuff first. Now, here's the application. Whether you got a, I don't know if some of you have paper. We didn't give out any paper. But if you have a, a sheet of paper, pull it out, pull out a pen. If you don't, I know you have a note app on your phone. Pull out your phone, get the note app open. And write on the top of it, my holy life my holy life, and I want you to ask these four questions, okay? You might have the answers you could throw in there right now, but I'm just going to list them off, okay? <clears throat> Write down what God is calling you to stop doing. What's he calling you to stop doing? You probably know. Maybe there's more than one thing. <laughs> That's all right. Tear it down. How can you take a step to obliterate it in your life? What's one tangible step to obliterating that sin? Not just struggling with it. How are you going to actually rid yourself and let God actually use you in that? Number three, write down what he's calling you to do. What's he calling you to do? There's two parts in this, right? What are we going to take away? What is he going to give? 
What is one step you can take to allow God to use you to do that? So one, write down what God is calling you to stop doing. How are you going to take a step to obliterate it? Write down what he's calling you to do. What's one step that you can take, let's say this week, to allow God to to use you to do that? Here's the thing. If we do it, God will show up. It's the truth. It happens over and over throughout Scripture. There's a Scripture here, Exodus 19, 10 and 11. And this is when the children of Israel leave Egypt and they're, they're coming to the Mount Sinai. And, and God says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. This isn't, this isn't just a one-time sort of situation. He does this when they cross the Jordan later. He does this all throughout Scripture. Consecrate yourself, and when you do that, God shows up. Miracles happen. God-sized things take place. That's what he's calling us to. So, <clears throat> what does that mean for us moving forward? I'm not sure. You know, like, there's a lot of crazy things going on. There's a, a pandemic. As a church, we don't have a building. We're, we're, we're renting a space on Saturday night. There's, there's a lot of things going on. What I do know is that if we do this, if we consecrate ourselves, God is going to do a miracle in our midst. I know that because he's done it over and over again in the lives of his people. Now, there's this book I, re- I read recently called Why Revival Tarries, and an old minister put out a sign, and it said, this church will either see a great revival or a funeral. Now, I don't think K2 is on the verge of a funeral <laughs> by any means, but if we're not willing to set ourselves apart as a church, I hope we do have a funeral. So what are we doing here? Like, seriously, if we're not actually living the full life that God has promised us, we've got to set aside sin and let him actually use us for his purposes. That's what he's calling us to do. Now, 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. this is the last verse here. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. How do many of you think we, our land needs a little healing right now? Like, it doesn't, we can see it, right? We need wholeness and healing. Now, it says pray and turn towards him. Die to sin. Turn from your wicked ways. Don't let your body be an instrument of wickedness, right? And then God will do the work. It says that he will hear, and he will forgive, and he will heal. That's what happens when we let God do his work through our lives. I'm going to just go ahead and pray. Lord, come here. We need you in this space. Lord, I pray that we as a people would be serious Lord, we we wouldn't just listen to this message and go home and go, okay, that was good. Lord, we'd actually 
take serious how we can tear down the altars that we put up in our lives to our other gods. And Lord, set ourselves apart so we can be used by you. Lord, I pray you show up in our midst because of it. Lord, we just lift all this to you in the name, the mighty name of your son, Jesus Christ.